Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton, here for the Cups and Cakes Network. Today I'm excited to have one of my favorite bands from Saskatoon on the show. It's the Garys. It's actually their second time. Jeff, uh, Jeff spoke to them two or three years ago now. This time they're on the show to talk about their brand new record, which is called Get Thee to a Nunnery came out uh, September 24th, 2021, and uh, it, t- it talks about uh, talks about visions of the prairies through the 60s, it talks a little bit about uh, Catholicism, uh, all, all filtered through that uh, glorious uh, surfy sound that the Garys have become known for. We talk about why surf music is a, is a good fit for the prairies, we talk about uh, recording this record just as COVID was starting to kick off. And uh, we touch on all of their deeply morbid hobbies, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, nautical disasters, uh, serial killers, or, or just uh, or just looking for bones. As per usual, there is some foul language in this episode, so listener beware. And of course, you can find other episodes of this podcast, as well as, as other audio, video, and written content over on the Cups and Cakes Network website at cupsandcakespod.com. One more time, that's Cups, the letter N, CakesPod.com. Here are the Garys. My name's Julie. I play the bass in the Garys. Uh, my name's Erica. I play guitar and vocals in the Garys as well. My name's Lenore, and I play the drums. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you all for coming back on the show. This is uh, this is your second time now. We were talking right before we started recording about y'all doing this show at Jeff's uh, super swanky apartment. So yes, uh, and Lenore made that same Ringo joke in the last episode. <laughs> Did I? Oh my god! I'm so I'm basic Ringo. Wow, you're so predictable. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll see if I'll see if Damn. I can go back and grab that <laughs> slip in the quote here. We're already screwing up. It's cute, though. I like it. Okay. I'm going to cross out all my other Ringo jokes. (laughs) Saved. Perfect. Well, uh, just to run through the format real quick, we're going to do a little uh, rapid-fire section here off the top, and then uh, in the second half of things, we'll dive into uh, talking about the new Gary's record, which is called Get Thee to a Nunnery. came out September 24th, 2021, so almost a month ago here now. And, uh, and then we'll play a track off that record to wrap things up. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, let's get started on this rapid-fire. Uh, very first question, uh, is there a specialty dish or a thing that uh, all you guys cook that uh that people kind of identify with you or that you think is your like specialty julie always makes this uh banana bread That's i knew i was gonna gonna say yeah i, kn- I knew a... you were gonna save my banana bread <laughs> <laughs> um it's also a recipe that you shouldn't really mess with because it's pretty much perfect i've tried making it better and i failed <laughs> it's it's awesome I think uh, Lenore's signature dish is probably stuffing at Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Lenore's stuffing is the best out of anyone I've ever had. (laughs) Although she said it was technically dressing because she doesn't put it in a bird, so it's not stuffed in anything. But but it is delicious. It's very good stuff. Our our, 
our nephew this year for Thanksgiving wanted to make some dressing and I kind of stepped out ahead of that and I was like that's that's my thing <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah I've asserted some dominance with my dressing <laughs> in the past what, what's Erica's signature? I think mine, can I, I'll answer for myself. <laughs> but um, I think mine is a cheese ball, spicy cheese ball. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of my friends know me for bringing a spicy cheese ball to a party. And, at, you know, at Christmas, uh, one of my brothers and I, we have a cheese ball off. So whoever can make the spicier, bigger cheese ball, which is funny because I like, I don't even eat dairy <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so um, it's very, uh, you know, it's selfless for me to make the cheese ball for the rest of the family. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great cheese ball. <laughs> so, so considering agree, considering you are all family, are any of those recipes like all family recipes, or are most of them like specific to you three? Um, yeah, I don't think the banana bread. I think I just started with one I found online and then just kind of tweaked it a little bit over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not passed down, although our mom did make banana bread too. So I think just the idea of saving your bad old black bananas and making bread out of them, that's something our mom would always do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Second question, do you prefer tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee. A thousand percent. (laughs) I go back and forth. I have like phases where I'll make tea for weeks and then I'll switch to coffee for weeks. So I like both. It's funny. Most of the time that this question, I think, gets answered, it's that people are either um, hardcore for coffee or they say tea because they're like, yeah, I can't handle coffee sometimes. Yeah, that's totally what, like, that's why I'll switch because I'll get, like, you know, I don't know, some weird gut rot or I'll feel, like, super <laughs> jittery or just, you know, sometimes you just get to switch your diet up to make yourself feel better. And that's uh, yeah. part of it. Uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? I worked in the bakery at Superstore when I was a teen, and I I had to write on cakes, happy birthday and stuff, but I didn't have any training, so I (laughs) I wrote a bunch of really horrible things on people's cakes, and they all were really uh, displeased with my service, (laughs) and and I quit (laughs) on the job. It sucked. That's the crappiest job I've ever had anyway. I don't know about weirdest, but definitely crappiest. Um, I was I did like data entry for Elections Canada. And so I just had to like spend hours inputting like voter information into a database. And I think it paid like by entry. I think I got like two cents an entry or something like that. So the faster Whoa. you can do it, the faster you can do it, the more you got paid. So that was an odd job, I think. I just picked it up around election time, long time ago. Yeah, that's a weird... I know I, I spent this past election about four or five weeks working for Elections Canada doing some of that, but not getting paid by entry. <laughs> that just that seems wild for some reason. That's really bizarre. Yeah. I, from what I recall, it paid pretty well, because I guess I was fast enough at it. <laughs> I've had a lot of weird jobs, um, but one that comes to mind was when I was <laughs> really young, and I feel like Julie and Lenore also did this, uh, but our mom would sometimes do, like, 
phone calling for Fabricland and you'd so you'd like call Fabricland and or Fabricland members to tell them that there was like a sale on votives or notions and then (laughs) like a specific fabric type um but I remember doing that when I was really really young so that might be one of my weirdest jobs (laughs) yeah I know I remember that I did that job too I still don't know what a notion is (laughs) I remember like (laughs) having a few like everybody's really old and so one in every I don't know so many phone calls would news that that person's actually deceased now <laughs> okay, well, right? to just cross it off and move on to the next list is, is there only one fabric land in saskatoon am i nuts like i i used to i used to always go to the one that was in market mall with my grandma when i was like four <laughs> i think that one's still there and it's probably identical to when you used to go there with your grandma oh okay yeah um, i think there used to be two but i believe one of them closed down R.I.P. Fabricland. I love I love <laughs> Fabricland. I have good memories of it because our mom would take us there to like make us a special dress or a Halloween costume. Yeah, yeah. Um, she used to do a lot of custom sewing for us, so it was always fun to go in there, pick fat like patterns and stuff out for whatever you were planning. Yeah. Although I feel like Fanny's fabric was like the um, competitive competitor for uh fabric land and they had a ball pit which was really sweet for like the children of people going in there to shop for fabric so i don't yeah. remember fannies at all <laughs> fabric store and ball pit um, <laughs> uh what's the first car you ever owned the first car i purchased myself that wasn't just a beater that my parents made available to me was a 2000 and three chevy aveo little hatchback okay mine is very similar car to julie's because i actually had been driving i'm a bit of a freeloader so i'd been driving (laughs) a vehicle that belonged to my parents until very recently in my life so um i drive a 2006 suzuki swift hatchback it looks exactly the same (laughs) chevy aveo so similar (laughs) When I yeah. got in, it was like a time warp to my first car. <laughs> my first car was, that I bought myself was a hand-me-down from our older brother, Jason. He had a 92 Jeep YJ with a soft top, and it is the coolest thing ever. I don't have it anymore, but it was uh, really cool. Yeah, the soft top is a is a brave choice for those Saskatchewan winters. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, I I lived in Edmonton for a couple of years, and that was my vehicle that I had. And I drove back and forth from Edmonton to Saskatoon like like dozens of times a year. Yeah, yeah. And so I I would do that road trip in the middle of winter all the time, and it the heat doesn't stay in in the interior when you're going over 100 kilometers you know so i'd stop in north battleford and i'm not just saying this because you're from there and i'd get out i'd get out to get gas and like my feet would be like icicle blocks like i could barely feel my i could barely like i had to kind of like walk carefully into the store because because i was so cold but (laughs) those days are done uh if you could put together a fantasy show lineup of any kind of handful of bands. We'll stick to, let's say, two or three band bills because nobody likes it when there are more bands than that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, any any kind of handful of bands and, and put together a show, who would, you, uh, who would you pick? Are we talking like living bands? 
Yeah, let's say living bands and keep it a little narrower. Um, I would say Lelous and Alalas. Okay, yeah. It's a good choice. I would, I would say Stereolab and Warpaint. Um, all of those are good choices. I was going to maybe suggest uh, Beach Fossils, who I was, I've been listening to them a lot today, um, and I just really enjoy their music, so I feel like that would maybe be a good addition to any of those ones you guys just selected. <laughs> a follow-up question then on that, like what makes a good bill for a show? Like what, what um, like when, when the Garys are playing a show, what makes a, a good kind of fit if you know what i mean like do you want a band that contrasts or do you want a band that's kind of like the same type of thing so you draw the types of people who like that specific thing or or like what do you think i think it's like a balance of those two things probably like a bit of a little bit of variety or contrast as you say but it still has to be similar enough to kind of appeal to the type of person you're trying to get out to the show i think yeah that Oh, sorry, you go. Uh, um, I was just going to say, at least for shows that we're playing, it also really makes a big difference when, like, we like the people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, like, most of the time that's the case, but, I mean, usually that that's a huge factor that makes shows really fun, is just being able to, like, hang out with the artists as people and as friends. Yeah. And, and then also be able to support each other in your practice and stuff, so. Yeah. That's a good addition for sure. And I think there's some artists that would be like, oh, we'd love to play with them. But then like maybe they're dicks and we, you know, wouldn't actually <laughs> enjoy sharing a bill with them. Yeah, I've definitely I've had shows like that. And uh, regardless of how well anybody plays, it is still kind of a bummer at the end of the day when it's just like, I just don't I, I just don't like these people. <laughs> like, it's hard to get past that, I think. Yeah, totally. I know, like, I was going to say when the when that, like, Burger Records thing came out, all the controversy about all the sexual misconduct and just shitty behavior amongst Burger Records folks, um, I, we talked about it a little bit because we were like, oh, we used to, like, you know, kind of fantasize about being on Burger Records, or that was sort of, like, a label that we thought was cool, and then it's just, like, I don't know, sometimes the wool just falls from your eyes about who you, who you thought was cool and who actually is cool. Yeah, yeah. Is there it's a? Just, uh, oh, sorry. I was sorry. just gonna say one last thing. Luckily, yeah. mo- most people are cool, you know. <laughs> like, you know, not it, we're not being like everybody's an ass. It's like, <laughs> well, Julie's saying oh, that. Yeah. We're saying <laughs> no. Every everyone's cool. We miss all the cool people. We haven't been able to see. Is there a uh, is there a social media account that you follow that brings you just a little bit of joy whenever you scroll past it? Uh, anything like that. Okay, I mentioned this one to my sisters last summer, but there's one, I think it's called No Shorts, or maybe No Shorts on Stage, and it's just (laughs) photos of people performing on stage wearing shorts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like the basic premise that you shouldn't do it, and they're kind of like trying to maybe shame people out of doing it. (laughs) I just think it's so funny. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I just think it's a very funny account to... Yeah. Be like, look at this guy on stage wearing shorts. (laughs) (laughs) I recently followed a Twitter account called 
capybara man and it's just photos of <laughs> capybaras with other animals doing funny things and it's just a very nice palate cleanser when i'm scrolling through like very <laughs> opinionated tweets or political stuff on twitter so that brings me joy on social media <laughs> I, I was just telling a friend about this one account on instagram that's a local to saskatoon called breads of riversdale <laughs> and Julie and Erica know about it. Uh, Riversdale's like uh, one of the neighborhoods, like sort of in the core of Saskatoon. Yeah. And I work in uh, Riversdale. And there's lo- lots of times just different types of bread or bagels or donuts or whatever, doughy things that are just strewn about in the street. And they document them and then post them. And then they give them like a, like, I don't know, like a biological kind of like phylum. <laughs> I don't know. They like give, give them like the species kind of. Uh, like naming a, system. Like a Latin name. Yeah. Thank you. And it's really funny. It's so funny. Breads of Riversdale. Check it out. <laughs> uh, do y'all prefer? Uh, do y'all prefer sports, board games, or video games? Um, I would say board games if I'm trying to be social, and video games if I'm not. Did you say sports, board games, or video games? Like, there's three? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, Yeah, I think it kind of depends. Like, I I like playing sports with other people, but I don't like watching sports. I like playing board games with other people. And video games, I just like watching other people play. And I think that's just from being, like, I don't know, my older brother's hogging our video game system. So I'm just used to being the, the passenger. I don't actually play. I just watch. I think of those all those things I like sports the best I like playing and team things and I recently got really into golfing even though it's I don't know you could debate whether it's a sport or not very low impact but I like I like golfing surprisingly it's my new pandemic hobby I, I feel like golfing fits into that category of sports where like 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 getting really good at billiards or like uh, you know darts, things like that, and it's like golf. I, f- I feel like has a, a, a more well-known professional class of athletes as opposed to you know like billiards or whatever. But essentially, it's you go and you hang out and you have some drinks and do it's a, a good thing mu- together. A good musician sport. Yeah. Yeah, Lenore's been using it to network. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, the, la- the last time I went golfing, everyone was a musician. I know. Who was there, which is funny. She's like, oh, I, and hung, I hung out with this person and this person, and it was like the who is who of yes. it was cash music. So funny, because, yeah, you're right. It's musicians that I wouldn't really hang out with otherwise, but golfing, we were all like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, do you have a hobby or pastime that people might not expect from you? Other than golfing. Um. I'm having such a hard time thinking of what my hobbies are. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm really into Titanic. (laughs) I won't talk more about it, but I'm kind of obsessed (laughs) with the history of the the ocean liner. Okay. Was was this perhaps like a like a early early in your life fascination with the Leo DiCaprio movie, or does it have nothing no. in fact to do with that? The earliest I can recall is doing like a, a report on it in grade three or four. Okay, and I that was pre Leo. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. Anyway. What about you guys, Julie, Erica? Um, I would say sort of like a, uh, I don't know if I would consider it a hobby, but something that really fascinates me is um, bones. I collect a lot of, like, if I find animal bones and stuff, and I like to identify them. And uh, I love when people send me pictures of stuff they find in nature whether it's like half of a scapula or something i just like uh trying to identify stuff like that so maybe that's one for me (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah i guess if if you can put like interests under hobbies kind of i know a lot about serial killers and like true crime and that's not as rare as it used to be because true crime especially i think amongst podcast listeners has really exploded in the last few years but yeah even since i was pretty young i've just been like really interested in like serial killers and like i've done like real deep dives on like school shootings and shit like that and then it's not i don't know not always like the healthiest thing to immerse yourself in but i find yes. that kind of stuff pretty fascinating so just to recap um <laughs> Serial killers, bones, and <laughs> nautical disasters. Um, yeah, hmm. yeah. I was gonna okay. add to that that like I I I often like uh, I, I'm not even exaggerating when I say often is like just look up like random uh, information from like different numbered victims of the Titanic and like read about the what was the artifacts that were collected. Yeah, yeah. And, so yeah, kind of the morbid stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't say. Um, <laughs> well, some would say it's morbid. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, we've got two rapid fire questions left. Is there an album you remember from your childhood that uh, had an impact on you that maybe you still listen to every once in a while? Um, Green Day Dookie is one that comes to mind for me my brother our our brother chris had the cassette and i remember like unwrapping the cassette artwork because the cover of that is like this intricate cartoon with like it's like a where's waldo of like these cartoon characters like playing with shit (laughs) and uh yeah i just remember getting that tape from him and like listening to it quite a bit and then i had i think it might have been his tape that i stole but uh i listened to it in my car when i was in high school a lot um and I still listen to it sometimes. And, like, some of those bass lines were, like, you know, the bass line to Longview was, like, one of the first ones I learned by ear and that kind of thing. So I just have a soft spot for that album. Not, I wouldn't generally call myself a Green Day fan, but definitely a fan of that album. Yeah. I'm waiting for you. Oh. <laughs> I, well, I think for me it's hard hard to pinpoint, like, an actual album because, like, there's, like, specific songs or artists, but I don't... They might have been on like homemade mixtapes or like I I remember the first CD that I ever bought, which was like the Spice Girls album where Jerry had left the band. So there was only the four members. So that was the first CD I ever bought, which was a big deal for me um, <laughs> at the time. But other than that, I, I feel like I'm thinking about like, I don't know, I spent a lot of time in our oldest sister Annette's bedroom listening to like... 90s um like clubbing music and stuff and like i don't know wanting to be like a backup dancer and like, <laughs> wearing outfits <laughs> and stuff like that so um I, I don't know if i would say a specific album but uh definitely a lot of 
I don't know, a lot of different artists listening to like 90s club music. So okay. she had a lot of the like much dance compilations. Um, oh, yeah. And then also a lot of Chris Shepard stuff, which I, I think Chris Shepard was like a DJ, like, and he used to call himself Pirate Radio. Those are a couple that I can recall her having for sure. <laughs> I remember uh, I listened to a lot of Sass Jordan when I was young. And I remember, um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> so funny, you know what I'm going to say. Um, Alanis Morissette came out with, uh, I think, probably Jagged Little Pill. So, I don't know, do the math, that's how old I was. And uh, I really wanted that for Christmas. I wanted the Alanis tape for Christmas. Yeah. And Santa just kind of misheard me when I, when I <laughs> said I wanted... Alanis and they got me Sass Jordan on accident. <laughs> oh, no. And so I just listened to Sass Jordan for a long time after that. And uh, that was my the, the sounds of my uh, childhood. <laughs> That's As like, a result. When you, were, when you were a kid, though, like your music selection was limited to like what physical media was like in your vicinity. So yeah. if someone like, someone gave you an album, you would listen to it like over oh, and yeah. over, even if you, you know, it, it's, if it's maybe not what you would have chosen or if in retrospect, you're like, that was pretty bad. Somebody gave me, um, the Sugar Ray album. I think it's called Fly. It's the one that's got like all their big hits on it. Someone gave yeah. me that Ooh. album for my birthday we know. in like grade six. And I was like, oh, Sugar Ray, I'm not into them, but whatever. I'll listen to it a hundred times because I only have like a dozen <laughs> CDs. And so... I know that album very well, but I I wouldn't say I'm a Sugar Ray fan. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember rollerblading to Sass Jordan like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Nice. Perfect. Well, very very last one here then on the rapid fire side of things. Uh, are there any up and coming uh, bands and artists uh, around Saskatoon that uh, you're excited about that you would want to maybe uh, give a little shout out to? Uh, I'm a super big fan of Alex Bent, um, or Alex Bent and the Emptiness. Um, his last album, Baby, um, is very well rotated in my collection. Um, I just think he's super, super, super good. Um, and he's got some new singles out that have all been awesome. And I'm not sure when his next album is out, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, I was going to say Alex Bent as well, but um, also Toria Summerfield is awesome. She is just, like such a cool voice, and I really like. She's got amazing lyrics, and I don't know. I love the kind of music she's making. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Uh, I was going to also say Beachbody. You know, they're from Regina, but oh, okay, yeah, close to us. Um, I've been listening to their album a lot, and the, since I bought it, they played here last weekend, two weekends ago, and. Uh, their album makes me feel really nostalgic, and uh, I guess I wasn't expecting that, but I just really like it. It's uh, it's on heavy rotation for me. It's it's a lovely album. Perfect. Well, uh, we'll swing on over into the second half of things here a little bit. Um, I guess just just right off the bat, uh, how, how's how's COVID been treating y'all as a band? How uh, how has that kind of impacted? any plans or, or any things that you were going to do before that hit? Um, I think there's been like highs and lows as, as there has been for everybody. Um, we were pretty busy in like the earlier part of the pandemic, getting all our stuff ready for releasing Haxon, um, which was a 
the an original score we recorded to go with the silent film Hexen from 1922. Um, so we recorded that in October of 2019, and then spent um, quite a few months getting a a version of it ready that could be released as like an album. Um, and then doing some planning around that, and then we released that about a year ago in 2020. Um, so that kept us busy for quite a while, um, and then I think we delayed the release of our like regular album a little bit, kind of hoping things would open up a little bit more than they have. Um, but I don't think it was you know necessarily a super bad thing to wait on it a little bit. Um, yeah, we've had like some things canceled that we were looking forward to. We were supposed to go to Sweden last month for a festival that's been uh, pushed back until February. So fingers crossed we can go in February. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's it's given us an opportunity to like really uh, plan out our release. I, I don't want to say overanalyze, maybe at times, <laughs> but you know, I think it's it's really easy a lot of times especially for musicians just with it from a pals i've seen and myself as well like that you create something you just want to push it out and you want to share it and um the pandemic has allowed us to like really take our time with it yeah and i and i think that it's always a good thing to do that instead of rushing releases i think sometimes that can be to the detriment of uh the album sometimes so not to say there's a silver lining because COVID just sucks in general, but um, we have been able to focus more on that because there's not as much else to focus on, you know? Right. Have, have you all played live since this started? Have Just because I, I know um, Saskatchewan, by and large, hasn't had the same restrictions on live performance that Alberta has. For much of this, we have just haven't been able to. Um have have you all played there at all or have you been kind of s- stepping back a little bit during this we've played a couple shows uh in the summer we had a an out they've both been outdoors one was like a like an outdoor festival with like a really limited amount of spectators um and then we did like a drive-in show where people were in their cars gotcha um and we did a couple live streams so um, all of the shows we played were like really kind of weird <laughs> for their own reason, <laughs> but really cool because a lot of people are working really hard so that you know we can do something. But um, no, we haven't really been uh, playing much. We jam sometimes, you know. We've been jamming more because we actually have a show coming up soon. But now shows have only just very recently started to kind of come back, as they right. say. Yeah. So, in in regards to the most recent record, then again, which uh, just can't ever say the title enough times, it's called "Get Thee to a Nunnery." Um, it, is that mostly a COVID project? Then did most of the recording, at least, take place during the pandemic, or was this something that had been brewing for a while before that? Uh, I think it had been brewing beforehand. Actually, when we recorded, um, it was the weekend, like right before we Saskatchewan went into lockdown for COVID. So we right. we were planning on recording and bringing uh, our producer Dallas Good out, and um, we were kind of trying to feel out like, is it still good for him to come? And we're like in constant communication with him, being like, are you still comfortable coming to Saskatoon? And then like 
big things started happening, like the Junos that were in Saskatoon that year got canceled. And we were like, you still, you still cool to come to Saskatoon? And he was like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and so we were like two days into recording when we got like the emergency lockdown notification. And at that point it was like, we were the only people that we were all seeing. So we just kind of stayed in our own bubble in the studio recording our album. Um, but so those songs had been written prior to the pandemic although i think the most recent song that we re that we wrote um was in the dawn or that was one of the most recent ones and that was like kind of based off of all of the um you know the apocalyptic dreams that we're all having and and sort of based on um what was happening at the time so we recorded at the start of COVID, and then the releases sort of happened over that but um we didn't envision that we were going to be recording or releasing an album in a pandemic. So <laughs> has, has the, um, just, I, I guess I know a few people I think have had an experience of writing music before this all kind of kicked off and then coming back to those songs and them having some kind of different resonance, if you know what I mean, in light of all the stuff that's happened <laughs> since, uh, since then. Um, has the way that you listen or think about these songs changed because of what's been going on? That's a really cool thing to mention because I don't know if I've ever actually mentioned it to Julia Erica, but uh, we have one song called Arm of Wolverine, which is the very last song on the album. And it's sort of about like things dying or like things that are seemingly permanent aren't and that kind of thing. And that song started to like kind of give me the heebie-jeebies a little bit when COVID was kind of dropped on top of us because it was like I don't know he can make some parallels to it you know and it just kind of like gave me the creeps kind of <laughs> and I was like kind of was like oh this is good because it's like music making you feel something and I'm like this is I think we're doing something right with this song is what I was thinking but right. yeah it started to kind of spook me a little bit that's uh in the dawn song that Erica mentioned like inspired by like bad dreams that were happening before COVID had hit home in Canada, basically. Um, sometimes I think about that and I think about the, you know, the specific dream that I had that was just like a really bad nightmare. And um, I kind of think that it was sort of silly to be that afraid. Um, but then I also think like, um, maybe it's just been like so normalized for me to like be brewing in that anxiety that it's just like, you know, I don't even have those bad dreams anymore, really, which is like almost maybe should be more concerning. I don't know. I just, yeah, just like the fact that my brain conjured up that before I knew what COVID was is just sort of interesting to think about. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, there's a certain amount of dread that just kind of goes along with living in the time that we are living in like like it's uh very weird to live in a world where there's like forest fire smoke for a month of every year and it's hard to breathe and yeah you get like desensitized to those things for sure yeah mm -hmm. it was also really weird not i'm not quite in the same vein but like we we've like eric was saying we wrote the songs and then recorded them and then like everything shut down kind of in the same moment yeah so then we didn't play another, we didn't play a live show for like, I don't know, four or five months or something. And then we were like, 
how do these songs even go? <laughs> because because we did we've never performed them before. Like we were literally like writing them the day or like up until we went into the studio and then we like literally didn't see each other for like a few months. Yeah. So it was like interesting when we played these like random kind of one-off shows in the summertime to be like, "Oh, we have to figure out how to actually like play these songs." <laughs> So what is what is the actual writing process look like then for the band? Like if, if somebody wants to sit down and, and write a new song, what does that actually look like for the three of you to kind of collaborate in that process? Um, it kind of varies a bit song by song, but generally a song is like fleshed out with us three together in a room. Um, sometimes one of us will bring like a nugget of an idea. Um, so it could be like, a voice memo of like Erica singing a melody or it could be like Lenore has an idea for a chord progression or like I have a bass riff or whatever and that could just be like the you know the seed of you know the the rest of us sort of contribute to that starting point um I think that's usually how most of our songs go I can't recall too many where or maybe any where it was like one person came with like a fully fleshed idea that's usually yeah. not, not usually how we approach it so w- once you're working on a bunch of new material, then what kind of signals that you have found, uh, like the idea for a record, if that makes sense? Like what, how do you start to figure out that certain songs belong together, if you know what I mean? That's a good question. I, like, I think that um, with, with like this album and our, and Surf Manitou, um, I think we kind of had a sort of a larger concept for what the album was going to be from the start. And then I think we started writing songs um, that would sort of fit in towards that. And like, there was a couple songs that um, in the recording process this time that were left off of the album, just cause they just didn't seem like they were fitting right. Or maybe um, we needed to do some more work on them. And I think, when you start playing a song over and over and you're trying to really polish it, it kind of starts to show like the weak spots or parts where you're like, maybe that's just not sitting right. And so those, those songs, like, I think we usually have a pretty good communication style where we can kind of figure out like, maybe this one's not working right now, but it was also really helpful to have like with this recent album, having Dallas to sort of be an objective voice to be like this, this song like requires a lot of work. And so you might need to revisit this at another time. So we never really like drop a song entirely. Well, maybe that's happened once or twice, but <laughs> oftentimes stuff just gets recycled into like a, a new song later because there's parts of it that we really like and you know, it's just hard to craft stuff together sometimes and it might take like a couple years for it to actually like grow into something and how you want it to sound. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. We were really lucky with having more songs like to to discard if you will you know like in the past we've never really had that we've just been like this is everything we have and we're recording it all and here it is you know and uh but we felt like we had more options this time to really it just makes for a better album that way i think you know so uh you talked a bit about the the past couple records this one and and surf mana too having kind of a more um solid concept behind them uh does when you want to talk about kind of what the idea is behind this record who wants to go 
<laughs> Erica, Erica, you go. Yeah, Erica, you go. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so this record, um, the title of it was inspired sort of by um, something that our grandmother used to say to us when we were, were being bad, which sounds worse than it is. <laughs> um, so our mom went to an all-girl Catholic boarding school, um, which was like literally a convent so or the nunnery. And so our grandmother, if we were being like, naughty or something she would say like get thee to a nunnery but it was sort of like yeah she she meant it in sort of like a teasing way um and so a lot of the the songs in here are are inspired by like both stories that we heard about our mom's experience and we were really lucky as as uh in our childhood to be able to go to that school because we had family members that were like still in that building and so we could go there for family reunions and stuff and so it's pretty amazing to be able to like go and explore the dorm room that your mom used to do like weird teenage <laughs> stuff and you know what I mean or like she, like she had um it was all pretty harmless stuff but like she would they would play with Ouija boards or like play tricks on other students in the school and whatnot so um so the songs are like partly inspired by that but also by like Sort of these visions that we romanticized about our mother's experience there um as well as like the whole area and like the sort of experience of like our i don't know our family members like growing up in like the prairies where it's kind of um desolate at times and sort of making the best of, of what you got and like of course our mom going to school in like the late 1960s and stuff it's like hard not to think about that time period and think it's like the coolest ever (laughs) so yeah it's I think that's sort of what inspired this album yeah so I I guess I'm I'm curious too about um like I I guess genre wise or in terms of the aesthetic you you would talk about it as being like surf music and I don't know where I read this in some kind of Maybe it was in the press release for this record, but the idea of, of talking about like ar- arguably the most landlocked part of the country and the kind of having this very surfy, beachy music that comes out of it, um, which has this fun like irony to it. Um, I I guess regardless of the fact that it may seem kind of contradictory, what what makes it a, a good fit to describe these kinds of locales and to describe these kinds of stories? Um, obviously not you know the beaches but um Um, i think there's like um a fair amount of overlap with like surf music and like what you maybe would call like desert rock or um like spaghetti western kind of music yeah Um, and so i think that that other side of it you know fits quite well with the prairie landscape um and so I, i don't think it's as far of a stretch as maybe people would think um, but I also just think like the notion of like you have to be on a surfboard to like write <laughs> to write surf music is um, you know kind of limiting. Yeah, yeah. Like surf, I think surf music is just mostly based on like um, you know certain scales that you lean towards and like minor key stuff and and uh, you know leaning towards instrumental melodies as you know that's some of the hallmarks of surf music and like why does that have to be tied to like you know, you must be from the California coastline to do that stuff, right? I don't, you know, so I think there is maybe something in that story that, like, intrigues people, but I think at a certain point, it's just, like, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, do you, do you think there are are certain, 
um, sounds or, or certain types of instrumentation or like harmony or, or, or scales or what have you. Are, are there certain things like that that bring very specific geography to, to mind for all of you? Like, I don't know. I guess for me, it's like, it's like Julie and I are a bit closer in age than Erica. So like when we were really small, like Erica's like an infant and Julie and I were like hanging out together, you know? And yeah. like we, we, we would like, we like made a fake band when we were like, I don't know, six and eight and we played surf music. Yeah. Cause it was like Beach Boys was on the speakers or something when we were growing up. So it's like, for me, it's more just like, it's just, it's what we know and it's what comes most naturally. And yeah, so yeah. like, and that's just kind of it you know so it there's we were never like let's do this like ironic thing and <laughs> play a genre of music that is going to make people go oh look at this this juxtaposition and how cool is that and like that is neat i guess but i don't know that's never really been part of our own conversation yeah you know? I, th I think that the landscape kind of fits in some regards though because like Saskatchewan is very flat well much of it is not all of it of course but um, you know, and I think surf music has um, <clears throat> the ability to kind of conjure up motion, right? And like the classic, yeah. the classic thing is like the wave, and then like the surfer on top, like traveling on the wave or whatever. But I don't think that kind of like emotional response and like feeling of like that kinetic energy is very different from like traveling on the highway across Saskatchewan and like endless expanse of the road and you know the grass is like wheat blowing in the waves and that kind of thing right so i think you can definitely like connect those things if you're you know if if it moves you to do that i think <laughs> it makes i think it makes some sense and like and a lot of our songs are kind of are in, you know inspired by prairie our prairie surroundings in, in one way or another um highway 11 tumbleweed is a very good example when i listen to that song i think about driving on highway 11 when I think about the tumbleweed that we hit with Lenore's car <laughs> when we were driving, and it's got, you know, the it, it has a, a sense of motion in it of, like, wheels rolling. Um, and so, I, yeah, I don't know. That's maybe the least surfy song on the album in some regards, but, you know, it's got a lot of that kind of um, country twang and um, that kind of spaghetti western sort of feel that, like, as I said, I think is, like, a, a very close cousin to surf music. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's it's all twangy in 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 a similar way, if, yeah. if that makes any sense. I, I, yeah, it does to me. Yeah. Um, too. I I wanted to just touch on this a little bit before we kind of get to the end of things. Um, uh, obviously you're all family. Um, this has come up a couple times. Anybody listening to this who hasn't picked up on that. There it is. <laughs> um, I know, uh, like I grew up. <laughs> uh, I I grew up playing music with my family, and that's still a thing that my family does together. I've interviewed a couple people for this show, um, namely this guy Christo Graham recently, who put out a record with his siblings named after a general store that his parents used to own. Um, over the past year or so, I, I've been trying to dive into music created by people who are related or uh, parents and kids or whatever. Um, 
what what do you think you bring into like a music making situation as as family that you wouldn't have necessarily even if you were like the closest of friends um i would say like for me i um i find creating music with people to be like a very um like a pretty intimate experience and just growing up as like siblings you know we've spent so much time together and so i i feel like um like there's already that sort of closeness there for us that um it's not as hard to get to that point as with someone if it, like i'd never made music with them before i'd probably be like really stiff trying to like <laughs> create a song with them so I, I think that's something that i that i really find in playing music with with my siblings is like yeah that sort of closeness that's already there and so it's easier for us to just get to the like creative point already without wasting time and normalcies <laughs> i agree it's like much quicker to bring the walls down or you know be make yourself vulnerable i think too um we don't always think about music in the same way but i feel like we our brains kind of speak that same musical language you know sometimes you can all be thinking the same thing but you express it differently and then everybody's confused it ha doesn't happen as often with with us i think because we kind of you know our brains are i don't know processing it probably in a more similar way than maybe if i was playing with my pals you know right when you're like should it be two times or four times or eight times and like everybody's right but we're all just thinking about it different you know yeah so i think that happens less with us which is you know nicer yeah well uh with that then i'd say let's uh we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up here um does anybody have any preference for um what song you would want to play at the end of the episode Gentleman's choice. <laughs> hmm. You know, um, let's do RM of Wolverine, because I was listening to that today in the car. Um, also, I feel like I say this often. Um, I know when I put out music, it's always weird, because the first few songs get a lot of play, and then as people get further into the record, uh, Spotify don't do so good getting people to listen to things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, let, let's, uh, let's throw a little highlight on the last track, uh, which is called, uh, which is called RM of Wolverine. We talked about it a little bit before. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to add anything before the end of the episode and talk about it a little bit, but, uh, now is your chance. Yeah. The song's about, um, our grandma's farmhouse, which is no longer there. It's a hole in the ground, you know, and RM of Wolverine is where... Um, the farmhouse was. Gotcha. Yeah. I think there is something weirdly heavy about going to a place like that where either you or, or someone you were related to used to like live. Like it, it's really like crazy, crazy important thing. And, and for it to just be kind of gone is, is very bizarre. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. If there was any song on the album that would ever make me cry, if it caught me on a bad day or whatever, this would be the, this would be the song. Because, Same. Yeah. Because it's, of what you it's, the, it's the one that spooked me when we were, when COVID was coming down, we were recording it. And I was like, this is like, I don't know. It's too much, too real. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 
Perfect. Uh, well, uh, we are going to listen to a song here called RM of Wolverine from the new record by the Garys, which is called Get Thee to a Nunnery. came out September 24th, 2021. Uh, boy, thank you all so much for, uh, for sitting down to chat. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you all. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Sean. Pleasure.
When I got nothing on my mind. Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track, RM of Wolverine, was played with permission from the Garys. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing On My Mind, from the Grimpy EP as both our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's Cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. 